The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents Setting the Record Straight, where various Christian Reconstructionist pastors seek to understand and dissect the issues that are plaguing the church today, from the pulpit to the pew. Welcome to Setting the Record Straight, a podcast of Reconstructionist Radio. I'm Jason Garwood, pastor of Callwood Church in Carroll, Michigan, and today I want to talk about capitalism in the pulpit. We're going to look at how economics relates to the preaching of God's Word and some of the things we can learn from understanding Scripture and applying said Scripture to the realm of economics. I want to start by simply stating this up front. The reason we have socialism on the rise in America is because capitalism has left the pulpit. I realize that this is a bold statement, and I also realize that I am opening myself up to ridicule. So be it. What this last election showed us was several things. One, millennials and the generations that follow are very much okay with statism. Two, democratic socialism is really just communist socialism. Three, those who prognosticate this view don't know history. Four, Marxism has been and continues to be taught and celebrated in our universities. Five, both the donkeys and the elephants are guilty of it all. I should also hasten to add a sixth point. Six, seminaries and Bible colleges across the land have refused to equip God's people with a worldview that combats all of this nonsense. Before we dig into these concepts, a quick story is in order. When I finished Bible college and went on to seminary, and even into my postgraduate work, I knew nothing about Karl Marx, George Hegel, and Arthur Schopenhauer. Now, those names may mean nothing to you, but a failure to understanding these men, especially Marx, is part of the problem. I went through my degrees without really dealing with the issues of philosophy. I had a philosophy class a long time ago. And the only thing I remember is not talking about how the Bible debunks the rubbish put forth by men like Marx. The only thing I received from the professor was a professor who prattled onward about philosophy while refusing to take scripture and apply it. Alas, that's part of the problem. So, in short, I knew a lot about leadership styles, the new perspective on Paul, and the doctrine of justification by faith alone. But had you asked me to explain how Marx took Hegel's dialectics, which Hegel took from Plato, and applied it to materialism and economics, I would have looked at you funny and said, just preach the gospel, man. At the 30,000-foot level, we can easily see how this nation has fallen off the bed of the truck and bruised its head. It's not hard to see how Christians have retreated, thanks, dispensationalism, and instead of engaging with the biblical worldview— opted instead to huddle up, hunker down, and cease from going out. Our pietism and dualism has made us irrelevant to society around us. That's the big picture view. When we zoom up close, take a look around, and keenly observe the problems, economics and the lack of Christian involvement proves to be a contributing factor to our tumbling off the truck and falling into the ditch. Now, for whatever reason, capitalism and free market economics hasn't been taught. 
You might say, well, Jason, that's ridiculous. The pulpit is for preaching the Bible, not peddling your particular economic theories. It is here we find the problem. Are we really convinced that the Bible has nothing to say at all about economic theory? And all of that expository preaching, you know, that verse-by-verse study of the Scriptures, you're telling me that not once you found a verse that suggests anything close to dealing with economics. Not a parable? Nothing? There are two reasons why this sort of thing isn't taught. One, it's in the law of God. And two, evangelicals don't know where the law of God is located. Perhaps a third caveat would be helpful. Evangelicals who do know where the law is in the Bible don't believe it has anything to do with them. Antinomianism is rampant in the pulpits, not because they don't have a correct view of justification, but because they have an incorrect view of the law of God as it pertains to all of life. You can't, on the one hand, demand obedience to God in your sanctification, yet on the other hand claim that the law of God is null and void and that we don't have to obey it. Let me help give some more context. When God created man, he created him in his, in his image. A part of being in his image was the task of dominion. Man was to be God's vice-regent. Underneath God's authority, man was to serve God by taking the creation and making it useful. Dominion was a call to faithful stewardship, entrepreneurship, and expansion. Adam was to make stuff out of the earth, iPhones, laptops, hammers, and indoor plumbing. Adam was called to be a progressive, to make progress with technology, business, economics, politics, and education. The only true progressive is a godly man governed by God's law, making everything useful for God's glory. Humanistic progressives are actually regressive, taking man's image and making it more muddied. Christians are to take God's world and move it forward in all facets. In other words, they are to be economically productive. Christians, by nature and calling, are capitalists. Dominion is about lordship, and lordship is about economic productivity in God's creation. Taking capital and doing something with it. Now, a part of this dominion and freedom was understanding that only true liberty comes when a man is bound by God's law. I'll say it again. Only true liberty comes when a man is bound by God's law. Hence, the very first law was a no trespassing law in the garden. Man was not to eat of the one tree. And yet, he did. He crossed the boundary and indulged himself into sin, autonomy, and lawlessness. In order for God to restore man to his proper place and boundary, he had to ensure he could rule his own heart, that's regeneration, and in doing so, he could properly respect and obey, indeed love, God's law. Now, one of the laws that came back, not that it ever left, was the Eighth Commandment, Thou shalt not steal. Theft is taking someone's property by fraud or even coercion without the person's consent. The Eighth Commandment, of course, presupposes the objective fact of private property. The earth is the Lord's, the Bible says repeatedly, and the earth was given to man to rule over. While I don't have time to explain the biblical precedent for private property, I'm going to assume that you already understand this point. The point is, the law against theft presupposes private property, and private property presupposes unmitigated ownership. Man's authority 
is derivative. There is an ethical attachment to this derived authority. Man cannot exploit creation by setting apart the law of God. No, he must govern himself and the world around him in accordance with God's law. Man is never given the authority to usurp God's law, nor is he given authority to create his own laws. Man isn't sovereign. God is sovereign, which is why Christian economic theory is so important. Jesus Christ is king, therefore don't steal from people what belongs to them. This type of preaching has been missing from the pulpits in America. Not that every single sermon has to be about capitalism and free trade, or labor, laws, and so forth. No, every single sermon ought to have Christ at the helm. And Christ at the helm means more than just aphorisms and other gospel-centered axioms. Christ at the helm means that he is very much interested in the whole of man. I said this recently in a message. We're not soul winners. We're man winners. Men don't just have a soul, they have a body. Which means that not only do we want the Spirit to regenerate them so that Christ can justify them, we want them in this condition so that they can labor for God. So, so don't say we're soul winners. When Christ wins the man, he wins all of the man, capital and all. He wants his heart and his hands, his spirit and his labor. Which is why capitalism belongs in the pulpit. It belongs in the pulpit because essentially a pastor is a free man preaching to free men. But that freedom is only found in the law of God. Once the gospel wins the convert, the question then becomes, what is he to do? Well, the answer is simple. Be a God-glorifying capitalist. My short definition of capitalism is this, uncoerced economic transactions. Uncoerced economic transactions. Christ saves and justifies a person. Christ then sends him out to deal with the economies in which he finds himself. Whether that's individual, family, church, or state, each sphere is an opportunity to labor for God, to work for God, to take dominion for God. Which is why the scripture exhorts us, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Ecclesiastes 9 verse 10. We are economic people. Economic simply means household management. It's about wealth and what a man governed by God's word does with it. How does he make more wealth? How does he create more wealth? It's about the practical day-to-day -day management of God's world. That's why economics can't be divorced from God's word and thus the preaching of God's word. If all we ever preach from the pulpit is pietistic navel-gazing, then all we've done is castrated ourselves. We won't be useful to the world around us. If we're just sitting on the sinking Titanic, then who cares what interest rates are like? Who cares about your 401k? Who cares about the home equity loan? And hence why we're here. But there's more. The second reason socialism is on the rise here in America is because conservatives fail to see just how socialistic they actually are. Notice I said conservatives. As I speak these words, Republicans have taken Obamacare, gave it a facelift, some calling it Trump care, while also including in the spending bill a continued financing of Planned Parenthood. Listen, the elephant and the donkey are the same. Conservatives can't even see the fact that they are conserving more socialism. 
it's it's not capitalism if you're going to take an individual's responsibility in the marketplace away from him and opt instead for coercive means. Think public school funding and so on. Then you're just conserving the same stuff. What Republicans don't understand is that they are doing the same thing the Democrats are doing. And don't you dare tell this to a Republican. You'll get screamed at or perhaps blocked on Facebook. But it's true. Republicans just seem to be a bit slower at the process. Nevertheless, socialism is already here. Don't believe me? Look at your paycheck. Who gets first dibs? Not you. Not Jesus. The state. It's called coercion because, to point out the obvious, it's coercive, compulsory. Not to belittle you, but again, conservatives have more marks in them than they would readily admit. Speaking of marks, I have something I need to say on that note. Karl Marx is one of the foremost thinkers from the 19th century. His theories went from simple propositions to actual communism in places like China, Russia, North Korea, and Cuba. Marx took what Hegel had said and came up with what we call dialectical materialism. Influenced by, heavily influenced by Darwin, Marx saw the world not as stemming from the abstract, but instead the material. Things didn't start in the mind, and they certainly didn't start in the mind of God. Marx saw the material world, and his economic viewpoint was very simple. There is a bourgeoisie, the higher class people who... You know, they're the ones that have all the money and own all the businesses and so on. And then there's the proletariat, the, the laborers or, you know, the have-nots, the, the slaves at the bottom of the economic spectrum. Marx believed the inequality in economics stemmed from the fact that, that there needed to be balance. And, and the way to achieve this balance was to raise up the proletariat. If these laborers revolted, the dictatorship of the proletariat would then obviously take over, uh, and thus the ownership of production would fall into the hands of the working class. In an effort to get rid of all the classes, Marx created his own elitist class, the bourgeoisie led by the communists. Instead of worshipping the triune god, Marx rejected God, which simply meant that he needed to create his own god, the communist party and agenda. There is no neutrality, remember that. Marx's solution really just created the same problem. If the proletariat became the bourgeoisie, then you've just shifted things around, didn't you? So take that principle and flesh it out. What do you have? Violent revolutions. Millions of people dead at the hands of people like Lenin. You have statism, which never really goes away, though Marx believed it would eventually. You have a terrible understanding of economics. For Marx, the, the value of something was strictly about labor. Um, in capitalism, in free market economies, value is determined by the buyer. No one is forcing anyone to pay X amount of dollars for something. If this product means a lot to you, then you will pay more. Thus, free market economics is uncoerced. But if we go with Marx, corruption is always at the top. There is no future because slavery never ends and there is no ethical foundation to stand upon. Now, Mar Marxism is atheistic postmillennialism 
an optimistic view of the future built on collectivism and materialistic consistency in economics. This, this communist utopia was promised, but it could never ever deliver, for there is no peace apart from the law and gospel of God. Marx's problem was that he rejected the very foundational principle for life, God, and not just a principle, obviously, a person. Atheism has no answer for economics. They may claim to love the poor more, but in reality, their economic policies destroy people. So capitalism is for the working man, not the lazy man, which is good because God created us to work. I love what Gary North once wrote. He said, God is concerned about man's relationship to material things. This is essentially why this type of thinking has left the pulpit, because of pietism and dualism, and because people don't have a holistic view of the kingdom of God on earth, people are forced to relegate economics and such to the category of worldly things. They say, your mind isn't on heavenly things, so just preach the gospel and stay away from that stuff. All the while, they sip their drink and watch SportsCenter. It's nonsense. This type of thinking is why we're in the economic mess we're in. Instead of preaching all of Christ for all of life, we're preaching some of Christ for some of life. Our worldview is chopped up into itty-bitty pieces, and we don't have an answer for why things are the way they are. What Christians don't realize, and Rodney Stark documents this in his book, The Victory of Reason, is that Christianity gave the world free market economies. Christianity gives wealth to nations because God blesses obedience. Work, labor, trade, and the exchange of goods are simply Christian concepts. A man gains wealth either through work, inheritance, or by gift, but he doesn't get it by theft, even if it's by majority vote. And this is all related to our present condition. A conservative Christian, and we're talking about NRA membership and all, might be against communism, but he doesn't even realize that he is all the while embracing Marxism when this person embraces the theft that takes place every single day by the hands of government bureaucrats who are actually sworn to protect us. You're not protecting us when you're helping the state fill its unending appetite. The problem with much of this lies in the fact that Christians have given over things inch by inch. Property tax to fund public school education. Okay, fine, says the Christian. Well, congratulations, Christian. You have now just become a slave. Give one inch of your freedom in the law of God by allowing just a smidgen of the violation of the Eighth Commandment, and you are well on your way to oppression and economic debilitation. And let's be honest here. You'll still name the name of Christ and forsake the name of Marx. But once you budge on the sovereignty of God and the application of the law of God to all areas of life, once you budge, you've officially lost your freedom. Just an inch of coercion is still coercion. This connects deeply to liberation theology, a theology that has become quite prominent even still today. Liberation theology posits that Christ came to free us from economic debilitation and corruption. Isn't that great for Jesus to do that, right? Jesus has now become a socialist, having gone ahead and read Marx. Thus, capitalism is now the great threat to Christianity in the West, and thus communism now has a Christian door through which it can walk. 
people like Jim Wallace and others continue down this path of Christianized Marxism. And where is the Gospel Coalition? What about the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary? Where are they? I'll, I'll tell you where they are. Not providing a consistent biblical answer from the law of God. So, capitalism belongs in the pulpit because capitalism is God's idea. Wealth and the management of wealth stems from the ethical judicial promises of God's covenant law, which means that preaching the whole counsel of God means preaching free market economics. Why is that? Because this is God's world, God's covenantal world, and God's covenantal world runs the way God wants it to run. Thus, we need more preaching from the pulpits regarding capitalism. How does a man gain wealth? How does a man function in society? Well, he does so as God's covenantal man underneath God's authority, God's law, and according to God's parameters. And so I would challenge our listeners to keep that in mind whenever you approach any issue. All of Christ for all of life. That's our mantra at Colwood Church, and we mean all of life, including economics. So yes, we need capitalism in the pulpit. Thank you guys for listening. Soli Deo Gloria, and we will catch you next time. Grace and peace. Thank you for listening to Setting the Record Straight. Join us on Facebook at the Reconstructionist Radio Discussion Group. And don't forget to visit reconstructionistradio.com to listen to all of our podcasts and to download our free audiobooks. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows. Or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His Kingdom.